He wants you to live the Sermon on the Mount, which is to be a peacemaker in a world of war yeah. where they were killing people. I saw them at the place where he said, blessed are the peacemakers. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. But it had been going on the whole time, and the Word of God in the face of the reality of war changed my life. Hi, Joe. Thanks for having me on your show, Jared. Are we taping? We are, and uh, John o. Martin's with us as well, providing the laugh track in the background. And John, <laughs> if, 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 if you have uh, any questions or any interruptions and all that kind of stuff, I, I promise not to tell you off until afterwards. So go for it. Um, standard question I've been asking that I asked Richard yesterday is: When do you first remember encountering scripture? I've always had scripture in my life huh. since I was born. And that would be because I, I grew up in the Outer Banks of North Carolina along the Atlantic coast. And I was raised Catholic from Catholic family. And there are like 0.001% Catholics in North Carolina. This is in the early sixties. <laughs> and, um, but you know, went to mass, went to daily mass, went to, this little Catholic school in the middle of nowhere. And I was taught by these 20 and 21 year old nuns who were really cool. So they are teaching us to read and write. I'm talking, I remember when I was four and five years old, uh, it's all Jesus all the time. Mm. So he was really cool. And then (laughs) they'd all bring out guitars and sing Peter, Paul and Mary, Bob Dylan blowing in the wind. Joan Baez, well, My Trials Lord, mm-hmm. Pete Seeger, Where Have All the Flowers Gone? And half of these people are your friends now, or were? Right. I told Pete Seeger that story and Joan, and uh, they couldn't believe it. And But it got mixed up. I thought, Jesus, and Where Have All the Flowers Gone? Gone to graveyards, everyone. When will they ever learn? Mm-hmm. You know, the answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. Um so this great pop folk poetry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this American is before the Beatles. Change. And Martin Luther King was alive. And my father was the local newspaper publisher. And he, we came in. He was from New York and all. And he immediately, because uh, I came from a newspaper family, got the paper to come out in support of John Kennedy and Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Bill. So the Klan started wow. issuing us death threats. But the death threats to my father were the the clan was going to kill his two oldest sons, me and my brother, David. Wow. So I used to see Jesus all the time. Where have all the flowers gone? And we're go- blood stained postcards with drops of blood on. We're going to kill John. This is your childhood. And that's my childhood. Wow. And, and this is what's in the background. Yes. Yeah, that's why I read. Yeah, yeah. In my mind. So I, I'm going to church and loving it. What's it the like? Man? What's the problem? <laughs> uh, you know, Okay, the church is a mess, but Jesus is fabulous, and yeah. God is great, yeah. and there's no big problem there. And I feel that way now. As I get older, Jesus gets greater. The church is the church is just administration. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to get in trouble for saying, but if you think about it, it's just running the you know the business. But that the point is Jesus and God, and so I grew up. Uh, loving Jesus. And then what happened was, so I was always getting catechism. I was always having good theology. I went to a Jesuit high school and really good theology from day one. Now we're talking in the 70s and growing up in Washington, D.C. 
and doing really good scripture studies. Mm-hmm. When we were just studying the gospel, it was mainly New Testament. And then I started because I just thought it was important. I would read from the gospels before I went to bed. Yeah. So that was pretty weird for a young Catholic boy, and especially for a Catholic mm-hmm. high school kid. Because the um, you were getting daily Jesus at daily Mass, but it was a communal experience, and it was a herd experience, right? Well, yeah, yeah. And at Mass, you know, the highlight is the reading of the Gospel, and yeah. then you would have communion. And I, you don't I, get up for anything else. Right, and that's the way it should be. <laughs> yes. And uh, I liked all that. I, yeah. I, I never had any problem with that. I started in my parish, one of the wealthiest in the country in Potomac, Maryland, um, young people being readers. I was the first one to do that. I would have been 14, hmm. and, and they do it now. It's normally at a very big, very wealthy parish. So I was literally reading the gospel at Sunday Mass. This was wow. all normal for me. But then what happened, of course, was I rebelled against all of that, hated it all, left the church, went to Duke to get away from Catholics, to be with good Methodist boys, <laughs> joined the fraternity, and decided I no longer believe in God because that's just not working. And I tried it. How'd that go for you, John? It didn't work. I was, I'm, a, I'm a lapsed atheist. Um, it was really important because I felt an inner profound emptiness. Life didn't have any meaning. Hmm. So then I... And was there a particular moment? There that... was. I, I went and took one class and you had to write a 50-page paper on a Christian and U.S. history. And I did that. And one day I, I thought, oh, what am I kidding? I'm reading the life of this great saint. And of course I believe in Jesus. And all this stuff I'm telling you came back to me and I thought... Well, of course I believe in God. Well, when I die, God's going to say, oh, I love you so much. You're so... And what did you do to help me in the world? I thought, well, i got to give my whole life to God then. And my next thought was, I'm going to have to be a priest. <laughs> and that's what happened. And then um, my parents were appalled. and I Your parents, your Catholic parents were appalled that you wanted to be a priest. Right, because the church. Okay, so our Catholic families are kind of different because like, my different. extended Catholic, like if, if you said it would be like, you know, that's. Well, we had relatives in the family who were priests and right. nuns and they all left bitter. Right. Because that was in the 60s, 20,000 priests left. Huh. It was the revolution of Vatican II. So my mother was very wary of the church, but very devout. Hmm. And, um, and I, so all of it makes sense. But they asked me to wait a year. And that's why I thought, well, I can wait a year. What do I want to do? I know I'll go and see where Jesus lived before I give my life to him. That's a good plan. And I had a backpack and a Bible, and the week I left in May 1982, Israel invaded Lebanon. Wow. And the whole the Holy Land tours were canceled. I flew on an almost empty airplane to Tel Aviv and hitchhiked through Israel for three months with my Bible. It's the only thing I had. Hmm. Thinking about Jesus, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to be really nice, and it's going to be <laughs> a very peaceful, prayerful life. And my goal is to be really pious. And I got to the chapel of the Beatitudes. Should I tell that? Yeah, please. And so I, I love this. I'm, I, I, my goal was to be at the Sea of Galilee because I knew it was going to be beautiful. And it is beautiful. It's yeah. more beautiful now than it was then. This is July 1982. And in terms of scripture, now I had studied the New Testament. But, um, you know, like we all do, you just read it. 
and then you move on reading the comics or the Lord of the Rings or something. Because <laughs> it's, you know, well, it's interesting. And I get to the Chapel of Beatitudes. It's a building overlooking the entire Sea of Galilee. And I walk into the chapel, which is a tiny place, completely empty. Nobody there for miles and miles. I am a complete space cadet. And it says on the wall, it's actually in Latin, but I could read Latin. It's like graffiti. Blessed are the poor. And I, oh, what is that? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, the gentle, the number. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemaker. Blessed are those persecuted for working for justice. I, I was utterly shocked. Hmm. And, and, and only looking back, because I reflected on this my whole life, I'm walking through Israel for months to get to that moment, and I was ready to hear a word we've heard a billion times. Mm -hmm. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those. And I, a light went on, and I said out loud. In the chapel. Yeah. Oh, my God, I think he's serious. <laughs> and I walked out on the balcony. I'm looking out over the whole sea of Galilee, and I'm going, you've got to be kidding me, because this is not my agenda. Yeah. I am not. What the heck are you talking about? I'm being polite here. Um <laughs> I looked up at the skies. Are you, are you, are you, are you actually telling me that I have to do this? Is somebody else supposed to do this? The point of the scripture is actually to do what the poor guy said, mm. and that was the first time I really heard it and realized I've been through a conversion. I just told you I was a mm. duke. I'm going to be a nice priest. What's not to like? <laughs> I mean, who's holier than that? That is not the goal at all. This is his job description. Mm. Blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those persecuted for justice. And I said, okay, I'll do this for the rest of my life if you give me a sign. <laughs> and I, all of a sudden, there are these loud explosions, these jets, black jets fall from the sky, breaking the sound barrier, boom, 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 and they swoop over the Sea of Galilee, Lebanon, 15 miles away, and drop bombs. And I, I said, Right, I am with. I'm going to do this, and here I am today, still talking about. It. I don't claim to have done it. I claim to have tried, hmm. um, and and I'm trying to take it seriously. And my recent book is the Beatitudes of Peace. But what I realized is, um, after reflecting on that moment, is the jets have been going over every hour. Hmm. I'd seen them hundreds of times, but who cares? Wow. I don't, who cares about war? I, we're, we're recording this in the shadow of Los Alamos, where they built yes. every nuclear weapon in New Mexico in the United States. Who cares? Hmm. Nobody cares. We're surrounded by poverty. But uh, it was hearing the Beatitudes and seeing the reality of war that woke me up. And that's what Jesus wants, I think, to actually do what he says. Because yeah. the Sermon on the Mount ends from that long trajectory then about nonviolence, love your enemies, seek first the kingdom of God, and everything will be provided for you. With, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but not do what I say? Amen. And that's a heartbreaking question. I read the collected works of Gandhi, who read from the Sermon on the Mount every morning mm -hmm. and every evening for 45 years. Yeah. I think he's probably the only person in history who ever did that. And he, mm -hmm. you don't become Gandhi 
unless you read the Sermon on the Mount yeah. every single day. Yeah, when he that, was asked what was central to his revolution in India, he always responded the Bhagavad Gita and Christ's Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. And people don't connect that the reason why Hindu yeah. extremists killed him is that they claimed he was trying to Christianize mm. Hinduism because his program was mm. grounded in the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, like, but, but they, don't, so... they don't get it either because he only, see, so he read Matthew 5 every day and at the same time he read Bhagavad Gita chapter 2, mm. which is just like Matthew 5 because mm. that's the teaching, nonviolence. Mm. Let go of everything the Bhagavad Gita says, uh, be one with God, surrender everything, be completely free, no fear, no violence, no judgment, no hatred. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Jesus could have said all of that. And so it and wasn't that a problem for him. That was your experience of surrender of like, maybe he's serious and... Well, it was really scary because it, it meant changing my life. And I had already done that. Hmm. I was, I was, you can't get better than planning to be a priest. <laughs> I'm just being, it's ridiculous. Surely that's following yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. He wants you to live the Sermon on the Mount, which is to be a peacemaker in a world of war yeah. where they were killing people. I saw them at the place where he said, blessed are the peacemakers. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. But it had been going on the whole time and the word of God in the face of reality of war changed my life. Well, and a week later, I entered the Jesuits and joined every peace and justice group in the country, met Daniel Berrigan. I was wow. arrested a year later. And just tell me about that, because I think some people don't know the greatest, the greatness of Daniel Berrigan. That so, people, people yeah. will know Martin Luther King. People will know Gandhi. Um, but would you give like just a little sketch of the greatness of this man and why Martin Luther King wanted to spend time with him? And Yeah, Daniel Berrigan was this <clears throat> very famous and great Jesuit priest who was the key voice and inspiration against the Vietnam War. He was a close friend of Thomas Merton and Dorothy Day, the founder of the Catholic Worker. But Dan and his brother started to speak out against the Vietnam War before anybody, yeah. uh, then started to organize demonstrations. And then um, there was a mass mobilization on the Pentagon and Dan got arrested there with 50,000 young people in October 1967. He was the first priest ever arrested, maybe in Western history, wow. certainly in the United States, certainly. Incredible. Yeah, if you think about that. that, And then his brother was arrested a week later. And then in May 1968, they went with two, with seven others, the Catonsville Nine, mm. to a place near Baltimore. They walked into the military office, just walked past the secretaries, went to the file cabinets, took out hundreds and hundreds of the paperwork for young men who are about to be shipped to Vietnam. Mm. But there's no computers. There's no, this is the only proof of they are. He, they stole them, went out to the parking lot, and poured napalm. Which they had made. made. They made napalm on the papers and burned it in front of all the national media. Mm. And it was global news. And Dan issued this statement, our apologies, good for friends, for the burning of paper instead of children. We could not so help us God do otherwise. Wow. Everybody was furious at them and wanted to kill them because they burned paper, but nobody cares about dropping napalm on millions of people in Indochina. Yeah. We killed three million people. Yeah. So he went to prison. He was on the cover of Time magazine. Later, they led the movement against nuclear weapons. He just died recently. He wrote 50 books, mainly on the scriptures. And he was a great prophetic figure, and I think one of the great saints in history. Hmm. And I hope people everywhere read up about him. And the way that he has mentored 
you has obviously affected the way that you read scripture. Yeah, because um, I got to know him very well the first week I entered the Jesuits and then became a real close friend and lived with him for many years and edited five books of his and gave retreats with him and traveled, spoke with him, traveled the country and the world and, and uh, was very close to him until the week he died and I'm now his literary executor. But that being said, it's like, you know, being a member of Gandhi's ashram or one of Dr. King's staff person, to, in my experience, mm. or one of Dorothy Day's uh, Catholic workers. I mean, to be a friend and a colleague and a community member with Daniel Berrigan, who's like being with Isaiah yeah. or Ezekiel. I mean, these yeah. his gift of language yes, and uh, his poetry. And, and he's influenced. I mean, I met a lot. Every, everybody in the country knew who he was. He was on the front page of the New York Times every day for years. Mm. We don't have anybody like him in the world right now. Yeah. Um, but his whole message to me was if I could uh, improve on St. Paul. Is that, you know, what we're up against is the principalities and power, St. Paul yeah. said. Dan translated that to say, is death. Yes. Death as a social methodology. You and I have nothing to do with death. And in Christ, death does not get the last word. Mm -hmm. But that means practicing and living the Sermon on the Mount, which is a, which is a call of Gandhi and King in nonviolence, where yeah. you do not kill. Now, you got to kill somebody. Well, we got to have a war in the end. You got to get them. No, Christians don't kill. Hmm. And we don't sit back and allow the killing to uh, continue. And in fact, we're willing to be killed to stop the killing without a trace of the, even the desire for retaliation. Hmm. Our nonviolence has to go so deep. And resurrection means nonviolence because yes. resurrection means having not a drop of death in you. That's good. Yeah. Not a drop of violence. Yeah. And the Sermon on the Mount is the clearest explanation in, in, the, in the entire Bible mm -hmm. of the nonviolence of Jesus. And that's what Gandhi discovered, mm -hmm. which he learned from Tolstoy, um, especially Matthew 5. And it's quite ignored. And after I did that book on Gandhi and realized he was always reading from Matthew 5, and he's not a Christian. Mm. And I'm a public Christian. <laughs> I, a professional I'm, Christian. I'm like a professional. <laughs> so like, okay, then I don't have You're to the read the sermon. Yeah. <laughs> we, we're just nice, pious priests and ministers. And, no. Gandhi's saying we got to... This is our handbook. Yeah. This is our catechism. This is a guidebook, not only how to be a Christian, but how to be a human being. Mm. Uh, to love, love your enemies, to be a peacemaker, to work for justice, be compassionate. It's all laid out in black and white. Mm. And we, have, we, we will study and live everything but that. And for you pursuing that call within the calling as you had the jets, boom over your head breaking the sound barrier and it kind of broke your life like you're like and it meant you're in nearly triple figures for um time yeah, away it's, and, it's you, been, and you it was did... a, it's been downhill yes. <laughs> <laughs> because um instead of this pious journey of being a nice person you took this prophetic journey down yeah which has uh, ended repeatedly in prison, but also the the po poetic, prophetic actions of Philip Daniel and Daniel Berrigan and uh, the Catonsville Nine of 
like I'm so struck by the image of stealing those draft files, uh, make a conspiracy to make napalm, napalming draft files, dramatizing. I mean, oh, this amazing. is it's Gandhi worthy. It's the salt that's the same as it, Gandhi. It's the uh, um, but often when people talk about nonviolence, mm -hmm. uh, it's not something they associate with scripture. Mm -hmm. And often when people talk about scripture, it's not something they associate with nonviolence. Mm -hmm. You've just mentioned Los Alamos and it's not far from here. Mm -hmm. There are very, very devout Christian people mm -hmm. um, uh, who live lives of private integrity mm -hmm. and yet um, uh, their, their moral lives are in a completely immoral system yeah. of death. How do you, as somebody who's not just a priest but a, is trying to follow Jesus, <laughs> not just a professional Christian, mm -hmm. but actually having that definition find its meaning in Jesus, what's that journey like for you? Like, so what we have to do is help one another everywhere, stop, stop compartmentalizing their spiritual lives or our discipleship that you can... I mean, this is the, the horrific tragedy of Nazis, Nazi Germany. They were all Christian they all go to church, and then on Monday morning they put people in the gas chambers. We're not that different from them. We just build nuclear weapons. To, I mean, this is the greatest terrorist training camp on the planet. We can destroy the whole planet right here a few miles from where we're speaking. What does that mean? It's Christians doing it. Yeah. It's not, any, it's not ISIS. It's not Al-Qaeda. It's good people. So we have to help one another say, well, what Gandhi said, Jesus was the greatest person of nonviolence in the history of the world. And so if you're asking me about scriptures, what I've learned is to put on a Gandhian, Kingian hermeneutic, hmm. that big word, which means like glasses, a lens. So I, Gandhi and King say, everything has to be from the lens of nonviolence. You have to try to become as nonviolent as you can, nonviolent to yourself, nonviolent to all others, to be part of the nonviolence movements in the world. To um, to help disarm the world, mm -hmm. but you read the newspaper from the perspective of nonviolence, going that's all wrong. You even read the Bible from the perspective mm. of nonviolence, and you realize, well, what are we being taught here? That's not God. It is the Word of God, mm. and this is a false image of a false God. Mm. If there's a, a God who wants to kill, and it leads up, in my opinion, to the fulfillment of the law and the prophets of Jesus in the Sermon yeah. on the Mount, yeah. and. Um, so, uh, you know, we have to just help go back to the Sermon on the Mount. And I, I, I've always said, I think we're so messed up, especially with the scriptures. And I love the Bible mm. and I love St. Paul in the New Testament, but we're so far from what Jesus wants. Mm. We're all saying, Lord, Lord. And we don't even, not only are we not doing what he says, we don't even know what he said. Yeah. That I think we should just read the Sermon on the Mount for the next 30 years. And once we've got every, that down pat, we yeah, can move on. Every morning, yeah. every evening, like Gandhi. And once you become a really trying, Gandhi wanted the word of God to change his life. Yeah. Not just, I'm taking it seriously and I like it. Mm. I'm going to, change the way I behave yeah. and I'm going to change the world because these teachings are serious. And we say, well, I mean, what the, the theology has taught for 2000 years. Well, he didn't really mean it. You don't have to really do that. <laughs> or it's a private personal thing. Gandhi said, baloney. That's not what the text says. <laughs> so we have to try to live it and we have to teach it the nonviolence of Jesus. And 
if you're asking me about scripture, I, I would talk today about the Beatitudes mm. in the Sermon on the Mount because it's the most important and most neglected and least read text of the Bible. Mm. We want anything but that. We prefer the culture's anti-Beatitudes. Wow. Blessed are the rich. Blessed are you if you never mourn. Blessed are the violent. Blessed are you if you hunger and thirst for injustice. Blessed are those who show no mercy. Mm. Blessed are the impure of heart. As long as you look good, who cares about the violence inside your heart? Wow. Blessed are the war makers. It's the churches all around the world and all the religions always bless wars and their nation. And blessed are you if you're never in trouble, you're never persecuted because you spoke out for justice. Uh, you know, you, you've made it. The reign of this world is yours. It's just one thing you don't have, the kingdom of God. I love all that. I love what Dorothy Day said. We're just telling that. Is that a phone? Yeah, that's my phone. Should we turn it off? No, because then we'll, it'll, I don't it'll, just it'll, it'll just end in a second. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is great stuff. Well, that's yeah, we should, haven't gotten to the scripture yet. Yeah, yeah. You should maybe consider doing this oh, like, for a living or something. Like, I think there might be something. Like, um, one thing I'm I don't get paid. Is, is that with you know, Are you going to give me a big check? Um, I'm expecting a big check. I, I'll, I'll see. Maybe I can make one. I mean, it won't work at the bank, but it will look like working? it. Uh, it is. The, the banging, though, means that the, the level is just love that. If I were Fidel uh, Castro, I'd put, take off my shoes. And Nikita Khrushchev. Yes. It's going to be very dramatic. Um, That's brilliant. What I wanted to say, I love the quote from Dorothy Day. The measure of your discipleship to Jesus is how much trouble you're in with your government. Wow. Mm. What do you think of that, Jerry? Mm. Uh, um, if I can throw back another one of your heroes, we'll, we'll just go like one of my favorites is if you're going to follow Jesus, you better look good on wood. <laughs> is that not? Uh, That's man. Daniel Bergen. Though he was quoting a theologian from South Africa. I found that out. Oh, is that really? such a great line? Uh, it's, it's an amazing line. Yeah. It's an amazing line. So was your experience of scripture something that was liberating or something that was oppressive? It was never oppressive. But again, I was only really reading the Gospels. Huh. And um, because I just, bless me for I have sinned any, I don't mean to offend anybody, I'm just sharing that I just cannot read about a God who would, you'd pray to to smash the skulls of the babies of our enemies. I don't, I don't believe in a God like that. I believe in a God who says, blessed are the peacemakers, then there'll be the sons and daughters of a God of peace. Mm -hmm. Love your enemies, then you're really sons and daughters of a God who raises the sun on the just and the unjust and lets the rain fall mm. on the good and the bad. Those kind of, the sons and daughters of a God, that's a God of peace and a God of universal nonviolent love. That's different than any other false spirituality or false image of God mm. that would have a trace of violence. I don't believe in that. So I, life is short. <laughs> I don't have time to read that. Sure. I read Gandhi King in the nonviolent Jesus and I'm good to go. Yeah. But I, I have to go back every day because... Yeah. It's so hard. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, Jesus, like, I think Gandhi was a really nice guy. I think he was really funny. And that's why hundreds of people lived with him. And hundreds of thousands would show up when he appeared because he's so nice. Uh, I think that's what they said about Martin Luther King. And I, th I know that from my experience with people like Mother Teresa and Thich Nhat Hanh. Jesus had to be a really nice guy, really nice and nonviolent. 
So that's good. That's attractive. And his teachings are so revolutionary. Sure. They make sense. Yeah. And the resurrection is very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> so it's enough for me. But that I need to keep yeah. I, I need to keep going back to it every single every day. day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what I try to do is I read a little of the Gospels so, and meditate with it every single day. I've been doing that since the 70s. Hmm. Wow. Up till this morning. Yeah. Incredible. And so for, for those who are picking up a Bible maybe for the first time or um, rediscovering the Bible after putting it down for reasons that you just talked about, what kind of gifts would you give them? Um, I mean, John, you don't you wouldn't say this about yourself, but Desmond Tutu nominated you for the Nobel <laughs> Peace Prize. Like, that's, that's phenomenal. That, that's I- incredible. What, what gifts from your experience would you give the rest of us as we, we pick up this library that we can carry around like as one bounded book? What things would you offer right. to us? So what happened was, I've told you this many times, when I was 21 and it was like the second or third time I, I went to meet Dan and I was asked to interview him. I'm like 22 years old now. And I had a little tape recorder. I was really, really nervous. And I wanted to ask him the meaning of life. And I'm asking him these nice little questions. And he's telling me about himself. And I'm going, like, how do you ask? This guy was so scared. And I blurted out, what's the point of all this again? Just like that. It was so (laughs) ridiculous. And without missing a beat, he didn't laugh. He wouldn't make fun of me. He looked at me and said, all you have to do is make your story fit into the story of Jesus. Mm-hmm. That was such a profound, liberating teaching from an elder, a wise Christian saint to a young whippersnapper. <laughs> and I, uh, well, to do that, it was very liberating. I have to know the story of Jesus. Yeah. And uh, to know the story of Jesus, you only have, you have to read the four Gospels. Yeah. And I just urge people to read them regularly so that you get to know Jesus' story. And then try to get to know him as a person. Mm-hmm. And like, what would it be like to see your life as you're a friend of Jesus? Like you're a friend of Martin Luther King. Yeah. Well, first of all, then you're getting rid of your violence and not hurting people and your racism. And you resign from... The military, you get rid of your guns, okay. You're with the poor, you're struggling for justice, you're practicing nonviolence, you're serving, serving, serving. Um, and you get to become a friend of Jesus and yeah. Martin Luther King. That's pretty good. Yeah. Well, the older you get, the harder it gets because uh, you get a lot of persecutions. There are a lot of setbacks. Yeah. They put you in jail. Yeah, the, they kick you out. The evangelists you, don't really mention that. Yes, they, they do forward. in the Gospels. <laughs> oh, those evangelists. Yeah. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Yeah. <laughs> Matthew, Mark, and Luke particularly spend five chapters saying this isn't going to work. Yep. People are going to reject you. Some of you are going to get killed. It's going to be horrible. And we re- skip those parts. <laughs> I read them all the time, and I go, yes, I'm filling the job description. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you're not in trouble, you're, how can you claim to be following Jesus? Wow. If you know his story. But he's still really nice, really nonviolent. He, you just touch the guy, and you feel better. Mm. And he's radically illegal. Illegal. he's revolutionary I think there's hundreds and hundreds of acts of civil disobedience in the four gospels I wrote a whole book on the civil disobedience of Jesus I always joke he's a one man crime wave walking through the (laughs) and um, but 
he's worth following. Yeah. Nobody else is worth following. And if Gandhi and Martin Luther King were here in Dorothy Day, they'd say, they go, oh, John, don't follow us, follow Jesus. They're, they're not bad endorsements to have no. on the back of a book. <laughs> like they're, 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 so what passage would you like? to read for us and then explore for us for well, those who are looking to turn the world upside down. Well, I, having talked this way, I mean, I would just read all of Matthew 5. But can I read the Beatitudes and just say a word about them? Please. Yeah, so... Uh, John? Yeah? You're John Deere. You can do whatever the hell you want. No, uh, <laughs> so this is what Jesus tells the crowd, and it's the beginning of his teachings. And you have to put, imagine Gandhi and Martin Luther King saying it. So it's a... It's a vision of nonviolence. It's a textbook of nonviolence. It's a how to be a human being, uh, which means how to be nonviolent. But I'm only reading the first eight verses, which are like the Buddha's Noble Eightfold Path. And mm. who the heck knows what he's talking about? <laughs> That's why they're so great, because you have to go to them every day. You have to discover. There's no, yeah. no, I don't think there is a discovery. I think there's just a sitting with them. It's like Rilke said. Whenever you come upon the really great questions in life by the greatest teachers like Jesus, whatever you do, don't answer them. Yes. You sit with the questions for the rest of your life and you live your way into the answers. Amen. And we have to live our way into the becoming Sermon on the Mount people. Hmm. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, they will be satisfied. Blessed are the mercy, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons and daughters of God. Yes. Blessed are those persecuted for the sake of justice. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. What I find are a number of things. Well, this is a description of him. This is yeah. a description of... Uh, Let's just pause life. there. Say that again. Uh, I mean, well, nobody's ever done this except for Jesus. But he. <laughs> how do you even... Like, I, I mean, this is stupid. And I'm saying to deliver you to be provocative, but I've told ladies, I'd say, let's just pretend Jesus is at least as smart as we are. Because <laughs> we all think he's an idiot. Deep down, we are smarter and sophisticated people with cell phones and the Internet. How do you think up these lines? Hmm. It's a, he's a genius. Hmm. And he puts weird things together. Yeah. Um, but the poor, this is his economics, going downwardly mobile. They already are in the kingdom of God, not the rich. Mm. Um, those who mourn, you don't cause people to mourn. But, you know, if you're poor, you're living this life, you will. The heart of nonviolence is we're all one. Every human being on the planet is your sister and brother. We're grieving. Yes. Because hundreds of thousands of people are being killed and dying needlessly from our greed and wars. But those people were being killed because he's talking to a people like in apartheid South Africa or Rwanda or Syria today. But this word, the next one, is the biblical word for nonviolence, blessed are the meek, according to Thomas Merton. So he's saying, blessed are the nonviolent, they shall inherit the earth. And I have a new book coming out about that. Because one day I was sitting here and I went, I never thought about this. Hmm. He connects nonviolence with solidarity with the earth. Did you know about that? Have you spent? Merton? No, do you? Did you know that Jesus connects nonviolence with solidarity with the earth? 
Oh, I'm very impressed. I'll send you some of my stuff. Yes. <laughs> I didn't. And I've been sitting with it for 10 years. Well, if you're violent, it's normal in a world of total violence now that you have nothing to do with Earth. Mm. You destroy the Earth. Yeah. And we're headed toward catastrophic climate change. And we have no relationship with we the land. We have no relationship yeah, with the it land. It becomes abstract. So if we all really return to the nonviolence of Jesus, one of the key things is to become one with Mother Earth mm. and your creatures. And then that'll help us be one with one another, be compassionate. The whole door opens. Well, then that'll lead you to hunger and thirst for justice. What I like there is I've thought a lot about this. What does he mean by they will be satisfied? I hope we're going to have victories of justice, but I doubt it. <laughs> but you remember Victor Frankl, who wrote yeah. a great book, Man's Search, Search for Meaning. Meaning. You will be satisfied because the most meaningful thing you can do with your precious time on earth is struggle nonviolently for justice for the world's poor. Mm. It's the greatest thing you can do with your life. And when you die and you're with Jesus, uh, this, the consolation will be great. <laughs> and then he goes to mercy. Like, it's amazing. Blessed are the merciful, they will receive mercy. Which, which doesn't sound, I mean, that sounds lovely. It sounds like quaint. It sounds sweet. Okay, well, but in the, this nation yeah, where, like, yeah. the, the reality of, of the death penalty is still a thing. Like, it's that's amazing for the me. The death penalty is a symbol. It's a culture where the whole point is not to show mercy to them. Yeah. There's somebody we don't show mercy to. The poor, women, the elderly, children, name anybody, gays, Muslims, yeah. prisoners. Yeah especially people in death row, but really people you don't like, anybody different from you, and you just go on infinitely, infinitely. And um, from the Nazis to the current U.S. presidential administration, that's a classic uh, tool of the culture of violence to scapegoat people, classic instrument of racism. Jesus has none of that. We are infinitely mercy, and mercy begins with showing mercy and compassion and violence to those that the culture says uh, are not worthy of mercy. Hmm. It's very powerful. It's very political, and it's the end of the culture of violence and war if we practice that. But what's so beautiful, he's saying, if you live by constantly letting everybody off the hook, we <laughs> forgive everybody, compassion to everybody. First and foremost, those shown no mercy, those on death row, we will be shown mercy. Yeah. It's just, it's like Newton. Hmm. It's the law of gravity. Mm. You do this violence, you are gonna, there's consequences. Yeah. The Sermon on the Mount is all about the consequences of your behavior. And we think we can go on being violent, racist, wage war, and there's no consequences. There are eternal consequences. But likewise, if you're nonviolent, work for justice, merciful, there's good consequences. Yeah. There's a law of mercy, like the law of gravity. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. Incredible. mercy comes back. But the next line was very weird. Blessed are the pure of heart. Okay, and so Gandhi spent his whole life secretly in his correspondence with his friends. What does that mean? I figured it out. You have to, Gandhi, you have to be nonviolent in your heart. Well, that's practically impossible, except for Jesus. He pulled it off. He had a sacred heart, is the ancient teaching. Mm. And we're called a sacred, nonviolent heart. Hmm. We have to have a nonviolent heart, a disarmed heart. But how do you get from the purity of your heart, inner nonviolence, they shall see God? Yes. Vision. I, that's what is so weird about Jesus. And it, I, you can spend the rest of your life mulling on that. Hmm. If you're full of violence, you will never see God. 
in any other human being. You would see great. If you're going deep into nonviolence and love, the light, I guess, shine of God lives within you inside, and you see you're in, in the beatific vision at all times. Mm. Jesus is everywhere. Every human being is is God. Mm. I love all that. And then he says, Blessed the peacemakers. For me, which is the most important. And um, what I spent my whole life studying that text is um, I'm like, you know, why? <laughs> Give me a reason. <laughs> and um, in the United States, the culture of war is always telling us who we are. And we always go along with it. Now, I think, I don't know really anybody else who says this, but this is what I think, because it's so big for me when I was 21 and just going through all this, I wondered, what does it mean to be alive? Life is so weird. Who am I? You're an American. I'm a Democrat or Republican. I'm a white man. I'm somebody. I'm in the church. I'm. And there was a TV commercial, and it said with music in the background, you want to be all you can be, join the Marines and kill for the United States. Be all you can be. Your identity. So we all, we are Americans. It's our identity. Jesus comes along and says, your fundamental identity is you are the infinitely loved son, daughter of the God of peace. Mm. God is a peacemaker, so you're a chip off the old block and go make peace. Mm. I love that. Yeah. Well, the minute you do that, you're working for justice and you're going to get persecuted. Yeah. And then he goes even more. And then when they call you, rejoice. When I was with Archbishop Tutu, immediately started talking that Grief and joy are the key teachings of the Beatitude. We have to cultivate these emotions. And I was going... Huh? Because then I go, oh, well, he, and, he and lives John, the Beatitudes. So, yeah. and no, we like fear and anger. Yeah. And he says later, whatever you do, don't be afraid and don't cultivate anger, but be grieving and rejoice. Yeah. And he's a close mate of yours. Can you, like, some of the stories you've told me over the years about what he's like and what that looks like in person, well, what does him mourning and what does him full of joy? Can you give us a little insight into Well, so... Uh, uh, I mean, he's such an unusual person. He's been under constant death threats since he was 13 years old. Yeah. And, you know, when I was with him recently in South Africa, he's still under death threat for publicly criticizing the ANC because South Africa is such a disaster now. That is no joke. Yeah. Uh, these really great people, then when you meet them, they're far greater than you realize because their personal lives have been so destroyed. And they've gone so deep into nonviolence and into the Sermon on the Mount. This is my experience. I'm testifying. Is they've come out the other end and there's no anger in them, no fear. They're really funny, incredible to be with, and they're way beyond all of us combined making a difference. So changing the world. Yeah. Even in sickness. Um, so I was with Tutu and he burst into tears. I don't. What? Just in conversation. Yeah. And I said, and he's, and he starts sobbing. He's going, do you see how much God is grieving because we don't realize we're sisters and brothers of every human being on the planet. And then he's sobbing and, uh, uh, and he goes, so I've cried every day since I was five. He said mm. that to me wow. over the world and poor God because we don't know what we're doing and we hate each other and we're killing each other and he's sobbing. 
And then he goes, he hits me and he goes, but John, I've laughed every day since I was a boy because Jesus said rejoice. And then he starts telling this stupid joke and he's like this, <laughs> he shouldn't be allowed out in public. He's just like this little kid and he's very silly and so much fun. And but thought, fully alive. Way beyond fully alive. He's a bodhisattva. He's a yeah. Buddha. He's a saint. <laughs> he's like Jesus's family member and he's under constant death threat. Yeah. And, uh, and he, he's, he's saying, get out there and work. He grabbed my collar and said, you and I have to work for justice and peace till the day we die. And I think what he said to me applies to every Christian. Yeah. Um, but it was just great to learn from that and to think that we can rise. I moved the cannon. <laughs> we can rise above our anger and disappointments and despair and fears and let them go. That Jesus is right. Like if Gandhi Gandhi said, let's just presume Jesus meant this, and that is doable. Why would he have told us otherwise? And then Gandhi lived it, and we know it's doable. And yeah. I've met with these great saints that they can do it. And I'm saying, let's go for it. Let's yeah. live the Sermon on the Mount and really work for the abolition of war and poverty and racism and nuclear weapons, environmental destruction, and really pursue a whole new kind of world. A culture of peace and justice and nonviolence, which you and I would call the kingdom of God on earth, mm. but really give our lives for the big vision. Yes. And not be afraid to stand up publicly and say no and say yes and yeah. let the chips fall where they may. And to be really nonviolent and trying to be within the boundaries of love and kindness. It's hard. Mm. And, um, and not even to be afraid to go to jail or stand in solidarity with the poor and mm. welcome refugees and, and, um, or even to be killed like Dr. King and Gandhi. Yeah. But it's a great blessing. And I mean, Jesus said, you know, this is the greatest thing you can do with your life. It's mm. in there, chapter five. <laughs> uh, those who teach and practice these commandments will be considered the greatest in the kingdom of God. Mm. I thought that was important. Yeah. Can I say one other thing? Do you have to You can say as, as many so things as you want. So do you know what all the rage, I know you do. Maybe others don't know what all the rage right now in scripture study is. Um, uh, the actual language that Jesus spoke, which is not Aramaic. Aramaic. Hmm. So this French scholar about 15 years ago translated, I'm sure you know this, the Lord's Prayer and the Beatitudes into the Aramaic. Hmm. And he says, we're totally wrong. Hmm. I love this. Do you know all this? In, in terms of it, so it's energizing not, it's, the... Yeah, yeah. But the word like power to the is like, incredible. Yeah. Yeah, and I told you this probably in Perth. It's definitely not happy are the peacemakers. That's not yeah. the translation. That's not in the Greek. It wouldn't be in Hebrew. Yeah. It's a bad English translation. But it certainly would not have been in Aramaic. So it's not blessed are either. Mm. And I never liked the word blessed. I know this is a stupid thing to say, but <laughs> there is a little patronizing thing. Oh, blessed are you. Mm. That's so nice. It doesn't sound like this guy. Yeah. You are the light of the world. Get out there, man. Go for it. And I'm like, okay. This French scholar comes along and says, in the Aramaic, the word blessed has like five words. Get up. Arise and walk on. Yeah. It's total empowerment. It's resurrection. Yeah. Walking, which is an image of discipleship, following yes. me. Arise and walk on, you poor, you mournful, you nonviolent, you hungry and thirsty for justice, you merciful, you pure in spirit, in heart. Arise and walk forth. 
you peacemakers and you who are working for justice. That sounds like the Jesus that comes to me in the gospel. And I only found that out a few years ago. And I think that's very important teaching. And I hope we can all take it to heart that Jesus would be like Martin Luther King hmm. and encouraging us to get up and get going. Yeah. King defined nonviolence. Um, but what I, I mean, what I was trying to say earlier is that Jesus is saying, if you're a peacemaker, you're the son and daughter of the God of peace. You recognize every human being as a sister and brother. So I could, you could define nonviolence. I would define nonviolence. On the one hand, as act of love, seeing the common truth of our our unity, mm. but resisting death and the forces of death mm -hmm. and the metaphors and means of death. Martin Luther, uh, but you could also define nonviolence as remembering who we are. Yeah. You and I are the beloved sons and daughters of God of peace. Every human being is the beloved daughter and son of the God of peace. Violence is forgetting who we are. The minute you forget that person is your very sister and brother, you can dehumanize them, you can imprison them, and you can kill them because hmm. they're not your sister and brother. But Martin Luther King were here. He'd say, no, nonviolence is power. Yeah. We are not powerless. We have a methodology that can disarm and change the world. There was a speech he gave to 100 people in Mississippi. Mississippi. I guess I'll I tell told you, you tonight. Uh, well, only on a, you, there's this is amount of people in this room are all we need to totally end segregation and racism and war in the United yeah. States, if we gave our lives for it. That's empowerment beyond our understanding. And but that's what we Jesus We don't have battens, gave. but we do have a power. We don't have tear gas, but we do have a power. Great... Like the way that he builds oh, to like... That's just showing off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's not and, fair, and I think Martin. this is what you're, you're connecting in terms of the Beatitudes, because they, they become lofty ideas right, for right. pious people yeah. uh, to aspire to, instead of of, um, well, I mean, I'm literally sitting underneath a, a, a sign that Daniel Berrigan nicked off Stringfellow's front door that says Eschaton as we look out over this like gorgeous setting here and we lose all sense of history is going somewhere and the Beatitudes aren't just high ideals to strive for but a reality that is approaching us and the working on, the power to the people, the, the power to the peacemakers for that, that's your true identity as children of God. They're that's a, a different practice. reality. They're yeah. Practice. Yeah, they're they're yeah. not high ideals. This is what you have to practice in your life. The Buddhists get that. Hmm. They're saying that Buddha's noble eightfold path is not a ni nice, pious ideal or even a very interesting philosophy. It's a practice. Yes. We've lost that. I remember Martin Luther King said incredibly about love your enemies. Jesus was not an impractical idealist. He was the only practical realist. Yes. And that's what you learn from Matthew 5. This is our only hope. Yeah. This is actually will work, but nobody yeah. wants to try it. And I'm just saying, folks, nothing else is working. Life is short. Let's get with the program. Yeah. Do the job description. Yeah. Experiment with the Sermon on the Mount and see what happens. And I can testify that a lot happens. Yeah. And by the way, it's a lot more fun and they're great blessings. And you need great people and you, it's just great as, as we talk about eschaton and a, a sense of a different vision a different future and you're talking about the the aramaic and the phenomenal scholarship that's been done a, around isaiah um, uh, in the aramaic and that jesus is enacting what 
the vision of Isaiah. So it's it's not even that Jesus is, uh, it's it's not a new vision. It's an old vision yeah. enacted yeah. in a completely new yeah. way that yeah. catches everybody yeah. else by yeah. surprise because it's done nonviolently. Yeah. But I think so much of what you've said is awesome for those who are first coming to this stuff, for those who are listening and they've been at this for a while and the realities of the persecution and losing jobs and falling out with friends and uh, tithes going down because certain people uh, leave and all those kind of reality for people. How do you keep going? Would you talk a little bit about what we talked about Mm -hmm. last night in terms of hope and what MLK said about mm-hmm. his definition of hope. Well, I mean, I, I think it's just a journey in a daily practice of faith. you having formal check-in time with Jesus every day. Hmm. And by that, I mean you have, and all the saints for 2,000 years have taught this. Hmm. And in all the religions, the greatest people all, all did this. And all our great people that we're talking about did this. So to think that you're going to be able to get by and sustain a life of struggling for justice and peace without having some formal contemplative prayer practice is ridiculous. Uh, so you have to take quiet time with God, with your God, with Jesus, and be with him and tell him your problems and let him give you the resurrection gift of peace. Hmm and strength and that it's a strange thing i mean people put it in different ways but i always feel new energy yeah just to put in a very simple human way without any spiritual talk just to sit quietly for 30 minutes with the beatitudes and imagining them with jesus suddenly i feel better i can i'm ready to get going hmm. that's just me i have a kindergarten level of prayer i just go and be with jesus secondly you have to have friends you have to get involved with action and the older I get, I find, oddly enough, that Gandhi and Martin Luther King were right. <laughs> and Tutu, you have to keep going back to the Sermon on the Mount. And I only discovered there, for example, everything is explained. Every Whatever problem you're having, there's a solution in Matthew 5, 6, or 7. I humbly submit. Mm. Especially, for example, if you're having difficulties in your life. It's very clear that if you cultivate fear you're going to continue to live in fear. If you cultivate anger, you're going to continue to live in anger, but actually it's going to generate violence. Mm -hmm. And he forbids those. Those are our best things in the United (laughs) States, especially Christians. Wow. No fear, no anger, grief, joy, Mm. peaceableness, compassion. I do encourage people to really begin. I think we all have to rise to the level of Gandhi and Dr. King and Dorothy Day. We were blessed to have such mythic saints and maybe the greatest in history. Mm-hmm. You know, so many great people in our own time. We have to become them now. So how can we go really deep interiorly to let go of our violence? Mm-hmm. And then, then you, you want to run somebody over in the car and then you want to beat yourself up over that. I'm not talking about myself, of course. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. And yeah. then you go, no, Thich Hana is a beautiful phrase. Just look deeply within. You want to keep letting go of all your violence and allowing the God a piece of space to dwell and really begin to embody or cultivate interior nonviolence. I'm not sure even what that means, but I know the great people have done it. Hmm. And then to be meticulously nonviolent toward every human being in the planet. Nonviolent to your spouse, nonviolent to your children, nonviolent to your parents, your neighbors, your coworkers, and you go, well, that's nice, but deep down, there's a couple of people who like to get back at with a few with a little revenge. They're your teachers. They're like sent directly from God 
the people you hate who hurt you because <laughs> they're wow. exposing your violence. That's incredible. And you don't want to practice the Sermon on the Mount. Mm. Now you get to really pr- see if you want to be nonviolent. And you'd say, no, I hate that person. No, you're going to pray for that person, bless that person, reconcile. This is critical. Forgive every human being who ever hurt you. Mm. So we're talking about really going deeper into nonviolence, forgiveness, as you are also working for justice and peace. You have to be part of a movement. Jesus was a movement organizer. But you're talking about hope. And I have always grappled with hope. I'm I'm, I mean, you know, you've just written a book about climate change. Yeah, yeah. How, how can you talk about... Well, the, the old Stringfellow line was, um, and I shouldn't say this, but I, 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 I'm, I'm sad about it, and I, I hope I'm the only one on the planet. I, I am a pessimist. But that's just what happened to me in my personality. Whereas Gandhi said he was a natural-born optimist. Lincoln said, I choose every day to be an optimist because what's the alternative? Well, that was pretty cool. <laughs> But none of that works for me. Mm. As Daniel Berrigan taught me every day for 35 years, forget optimism, pessimism, the biblical teaching is hope, which yeah. runs throughout the New Testament. Actually, have, have you heard Newbegin's response no. to the question, are you an optimist or a pessimist? Mm. And he would say, neither. Jesus is risen from the grave. Right. That's it's a, just such a phenomenal. You know, that's a very good answer because Jesus never used the word hope. Hmm which is very strange to ponder. Paul used it, but we know what he meant. But I just didn't think there was much hope. But then you get in these 60s phrases, I'm hoping against hope. Or I have the hope, when uh, hope is only hope if it looks and feels like there is no hope. Hmm. So real hope is the hope of Jesus on the cross. Well, that only means if you're struggling for justice and work to end war. What are you kidding me? You're going to end war, get rid of nuclear weapons? Yeah. The abolitionists got rid of slavery. Yeah. We can do this. Mm. Women got the right to vote. Dr. King got rid of segregation. We can end war. We can end nuclear weapons. We can end world hunger. We can clean up the environment. And, the and they must be thought of as mad. Like it's the and biggest totally economy of the mad. day. It's right, what right, built right, a nation. Right. It's like, right. how can you say that slavery but is... We know the only way change comes is through bottom-up grassroots people power movements. Mm. Jesus organized a people power movement, the same as Gandhi and King. Everybody's got to be part of that. But what I wanted to say was so cool. So we're talking about Dr. King, who was killed 50 years ago. And a month before he, he was killed, he stood up and said in a speech... Uh, I am announcing tonight my definition of hope. Hope is the final refusal to give up. Mm. He's such a gift of putting things so, I mean, a fifth grader can get this so simply. They go, no, 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 but I, that's hope. It's practical. There, you have to give up. Mm. There's no way we can do this. No, I'm not giving up because death does not get the last word. Amen. And, uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. Mm. And we're going to be people of eschatological nonviolence living in it. That's where he's getting at. They can, I, we can all live like we're standing on the balcony at the Lorraine Motel. Wow. Where you can, you can mock me. You can harass me and my wife. You can jail me. You can even kill me, but it's not going to work. Mm. We're, we're headed toward 
the kingdom of God. And we will still love you. We will still love you. But we're going to win. But there's everybody's going to be disowned. And we will win you out in the process. So that's hope is keeping at it. I do think climate change is something that history has never faced before. Mm. We are really on the verge of completely destroying the planet. We're also on the ver- we're we're now in a world of permanent warfare, the likes of which we've never seen before, in my opinion. But we're headed toward hundreds of wars by the end of the century. Maybe we could go from ten billion people to one billion. And that's what, if you really read the scientists. Yeah. So what does hope mean right now with that? What does uh, nonviolence, some great scholars and activists here in the state said, this is very difficult, that King's teaching doesn't work on climate change. The arc of the moral universe is long, but in terms of climate change, it does not bend toward justice. The earth is neutral. Hmm. And we'll ju- if you destroy it, you set off it in that direction. If we choose, we can get it a little bit more back. So uh, hope is doing our part yeah. in the movement until the day we die. That's what Tutu said to me. <laughs> you have to do this. So age is not an excuse. If you're alive, you still have to be part of the struggle. And I know people in their 80s and 90s who've done incredible things and made a huge difference. Or our dear Ordinary friend Carol people. Powell. How old was Carol when she first heard you? I mean, maybe we don't, but uh, she was 50 plus, right? Like when she started this, it's phenomenal. Like, and who she is today. What, and what I find amazing about Carol is that heart was always there. Her, her immense compassion for people as a nurse, that was her daily. And then she was given permission after encountering uh, you giving scripture back to her through Jesus that connect the dots to what's happening in our world and that same heart for caring for people that she used to do as a nurse. Now she cared for, you know, children in, in, in Palestine she's and uh, people in Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And it's she's a great saint. And there are thousands, maybe millions of people trying to do this. That's why we can't lose heart or lose hope. We just have to continue and help each other, encourage each other, and, and um, follow the nonviolent Jesus. It's the best thing we can do with our lives. We don't know the outcome. Mm. Part of the culture of war is always saying you cannot make a difference. There's nothing you can do. Be afraid. Or if you have to do this, get a lot of results and you really try to make a difference. Well, that's the language of the Pentagon. Mm. Collateral damage, results success, effectiveness. Jesus is none of that. Trust in God, leave the outcome to God and um, be faithful and loving along the way. Do your part for justice Mm -hmm. and and healing the earth and healing humanity and um, uh, and joining hands with one another. Mm -hmm. We get to be brothers and sisters and there's so many blessings. Yeah. Um, And the outcome, the world is in God's hands. Mm -hmm. So that's a consolation. We're just called to, you know, help disarm it, do our part and live it. John, for those who are listening and have heard your heart and have had their hearts disarmed, how can people um, learn more of your stories? What's the best place for people to find you? I know you're on uh, Twitter. I know you have a Facebook page, but there's a website. Yeah. JohnDeer.org. And it has a lot of my Unlike the tractor guy, there's no E on the end. It's even worse. As in Dear John. Yeah. It's even worse. Uh, (laughs) 
Yeah, and you can find out about me there and on Facebook. And uh, my, my work is with campingnonviolence.org. And we organize a national week of action across the United States every September where we ask people to take to the streets against everything and for the coming of a new culture of peace and nonviolence. And we do a lot of other great work there. And I hope people can uh, sign up and get our e-blasts and join the movement. Mm. Well, John, um, I... Uh... I find it hard to put in words how thankful I am for your work and witness and uh, I am where I am because of your influence and generosity in my life. So thank you and thanks the willingness to um, <laughs> let us put cameras in your face <laughs> so we can share you with a whole bunch of people. Thanks very much, Jared. It's no a worries. blessing. Amen. Amen. The Inverse Podcast is proudly supported by you, the listener. And if you want to join the revolutionaries who are helping us have conversations about how this ancient text can still turn the world upside down, why don't you head over to patreon.com slash inverse.